of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price for today's episode we are going to be talking about a cultural flashpoint as they talk about it, critical race theory. It is a topic that has been dominating headlines for basically all of this year and some of last year as well, but definitely more this year and more recently. It is being talked about everywhere you can think about it. In fact, it seems like it's the only topic that has been on the minds of people lately other than Jeff Bezos going into space because people spent a really large portion of last week talking about that, which I, I, I just don't understand it. Can we put that Jeff Bezos story in the place where, why is this news? Like, why are we talking about this? I don't personally understand it. Anyway, for today's episode, some of the sources that I have for you are, well, some of the information that I got for this episode came from sources, including Vox, The Washington Post, NPR, CNN, and Fox News. If you are new to my podcast, welcome. Thank you for checking out Independent Thought. For all you returning listeners, thank you for coming back. Again, if you are new, one of the things I want you to know before we get into this is that the topic of discussion here in this first part of the episode is not going to be the same thing we talk about in the second part of the episode. So my guest segment will be different from this original subject. With all that out of the way, let's start talking about this. Critical race theory. Right now, it is being debated about whether or not critical race theory should be taught in schools. It is being debated in places like Virginia, in Idaho, in Arizona, in Pennsylvania, in Texas. Let's be fair, it's being debated everywhere right now. Fox News, you know, just by themselves have said the words critical race theory on their programming close to 2,000 times already this year. It is one of their favorite topics to talk about. They are saying that critical race theory is trying to be taught to children in schools everywhere. And I was trying to teach myself a little bit about this subject this week. What exactly is critical race theory? That was the question I needed to ask myself because I've heard about it. So I feel like I had an idea in gist of what it was about. And I'm sure that most of you do as well, but I wanted to know exactly what it was about. And so I went through and looked at several articles watched several YouTube videos. And the thing that I couldn't get over was how almost everything that I went to couldn't quite spell out exactly what critical race theory is. And that's kind of where I started to figure out that there was an issue here. But while I was looking for it, I couldn't help but come across all of the comments in the comment section of some of these YouTube videos and how people felt about critical race theory. But I'll get back to that in a second. When I eventually did find out what it was, I found that it was it's not exactly what everyone was making it out to be. 
In fact, critical race theory, for the most part, is not even being taught in any school in America as far as a K through 12 fashion. From my understanding, close to 96% of schools in America are not teaching critical race theory. Came as a shock to me. Why is everyone talking about it if this actually isn't what's being taught? But, but again, what is critical race theory? Well, just for spelling it out, critical race theory is something that is taught on a graduate level in master's, like in master's level classes. It is taught to law students about the impacts of race in America and how that affects systems in our society. Now, critical race theory states that U.S. social institutions like criminal justice, the education system, the labor market, housing market, and healthcare system are laced with racism embedded in their laws, regulations, and procedures. That is the basis for CRT. Now, again, that's actually not being taught in schools. A lot of what's being taught in schools right now is just more or less an expansion of what minorities had to deal with in this country, predominantly black people. I think the focus has been on them as far as what, because we've, we've all basically been taught about Martin Luther King and the civil rights era, but I think a lot of us have realized in the last year or so, especially in the wake of George Floyd's murder, that our teachings about history have not been in depth as they should have been. And I think after the protest movement of last year, there have been a lot of movements around the country to try to broaden what we teach in schools about the history of what Black people have had to deal with in America in schools, because so many people have been kind of caught off guard about what some, what some Black people have experienced here in America. So much so that you hear conversations like, oh, well, you know, Black people really haven't had to deal with racism in this country. I mean, that's why we fought the Civil War. That's why the Civil War happened, was to get rid of racism. In fact, when I was watching some of these YouTube videos, I saw one lady who was protesting having what she called critical race theory, which again, wasn't critical race theory, being taught in a Pennsylvania suburb school district. She said that our country fought a war over racism. And so it was unfair to try to indoctrinate her children with saying that America was still a racist country because that's what we fought the Civil War over. There hasn't been racism in America since the Civil War. So like after, after the slaves were free, then racism just dissipated, it just disappeared. It floated into nothingness. It's basically what happens here. So now that we're having this conversation around the country right now, quite a few states have jumped on the bandwagon to ban critical race theory, again, not being taught in schools, but they have banned critical race theory from being taught in schools, in K through 12 schools. These states include Idaho, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Iowa, and New Hampshire. But the interesting thing about it is that even though these states have banned critical race theory, None of these legislations, none of these pieces of legislation 
actually call for banning critical race theory, except for Idaho. They actually specifically say those words in the legislation. The rest of the states do not. What they are banning is something completely different. They are banning the discussions, all discussions, that the U.S. is inherently racist. They don't want people having discussions about conscious or unconscious bias. Anything to do with white privilege, discrimination, or oppression. And this is coming at the same time where a state like Texas is passing a law that says this, while also saying that teachers no longer have to say that the KKK was a morally wrong organization. Someone square that circle for me. But yes, CRT, again, not being taught in schools, but is what we're basically calling teaching this expanded version of history in schools. And so, yes, it's being attacked in every which way, not just by politicians, but by everyday people. Again, when I was reading some of these YouTube video comments, and I, I was go, I know you shouldn't go through the comments section, but it was amazing to me how many of them, through multiple videos, were basically all saying the same thing. It was, oh, critical race theory is just trying to privilege black people over white people. Don't know how they, how they, came to that conclusion. Critical race theory is trying to make kids ashamed to be white. Again, I'm a little confused about how that, that works, but okay. Uh, we should focus on subjects that are like, like STEM subjects instead of racial issues, because that's why we're so far behind all these other nations. Like, so we don't want to talk about history in school anymore. Haven't we always talked about history in school? And my favorite one, we don't want our children believing that they live in a racist country. Okay. Um, here's the first question. And I, and I feel as though it's the most important one for all of the objections that I hear. Is it true? Do, do we live in a racist country? Well, let's, let's actually, let's, let's break that down a little bit further. Does systemic racism exist? Because this seems to be the crux of a lot of arguments. And I try to be as nonpartisan as I possibly can be when I'm having these conversations, but I'm feeling very unable to do that in this moment. So let's just call it for what it is. These conversations are coming from the political right. They're saying that there is no such thing as systemic racism in America. And let's, let's break this down for what that means. They do not believe that there are systems put into place that disproportionately affect black people and brown people in more harsh ways than white people. They do not believe that that is the case. They think that it's a lie and that it's propaganda and that by saying that it's true, that we are indoctrinating their children and somehow by saying that these systems exist and that they benefit white people, that's somehow also saying that white kids should be ashamed for being white, even though that's not what it says. That's what it speaks. That's what people who are against CRT are saying that CRT says, which it clearly does not. I'm going to have to keep saying that over and over again, but that's what the claims are. And so, 
let's take a second with this. I want to take a second to really kind of go through this because we should examine whether or not there are systems in place that have disproportionately affected people of color. Are they right? Were there, well, I mean, they claim that there are no systems in place that have ever done that. Not only do they say that, but they say that, hey, you know, like maybe there were systems in place, but that was during slavery. And that was a long time ago. Since slavery, everything's been great for black people. Okay, so let's talk about it. So first, when we were spelling out what exactly CRT was talking about, they were saying that there are institutions in America and they listed off a bunch of things. They said criminal justice, education, labor market, housing market, healthcare system. Let's start with the housing market. So back in 1934, the Federal Housing Administration, which was, again, started in 1934, they would refuse to insure mortgages in, in and near black neighborhoods. This is a policy known as redlining. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. At the same time, the Federal Housing Administration also would subsidize builders who were mass producing entire subdivisions with the requirement that none of these homes be sold to black people. This practice remained legal until 1968 with the passing of the Fair Housing Act. Now, there are a lot of different things that I can tell you about, about why this has perpetually affected Black people throughout the years, about how building wealth is done through home ownership and how exactly that can, that can actually like translate through generations as we pass down wealth. But I'll come back to that because another thing that I was hearing from people is that not only is there no systems that disproportionately affect black people and that there hasn't been since the civil war, but even if there was some, as if there was a moment where they kind of admitted that these things did exist at some point, that they, they, they happened a long time ago. They don't happen anymore. All right, so let's focus on the labor market. There was a study done by Northwestern University that took place through 1989 through 2015, where they reviewed 55,000 applications for more than 25,000 positions where they found that white applicants with the exact same qualifications as black applicants would receive 36% more callbacks for interviews than these same black applicants with very similar qualifications. And this has became to find out what people mostly attributed to is that people who were hiring just saw the name on an application, a black sounding name, and they instantly weren't as interested in hiring them. And so even though you had the exact same qualifications as somebody who was white, you were less likely to get a job because you had a black sounding name. Now tell me, what do you think that would kind of do in a sense if job after job that was paying decently kept going to people of a certain color because they had better sounding names and then other people who had a different color well they just weren't able to get those jobs and so they had to take different jobs instead probably lower paying jobs i'm just guessing at this point with this particular reference but i think you get where i'm going 
are there differences between white people and black people when it comes to, let's say, things like auto loans? I'm sure that people who think that there's no reason to teach CRT would think to themselves, yeah, those things don't happen anymore because those things were outlawed a long time ago. That's not a thing. There's no reason to talk about these things. Again, racism was taken care of years ago. Okay. In 2013, Ally Bank was ordered to pay more than $80 million in damages because they, because it was found out that they were charging more than 235,000 minority borrowers higher interest rates than white people with the exact same credit histories. Okay. What about the criminal justice system? I think we've all heard about this, but this is something that does happen even today. Not in the 1960s, not in 1989, not in 2013, but even today, black men who commit the exact same crime, the exact same crime in the exact same way with the exact same criminal history for the most part, they get 20% longer sentences than white people for the exact same crimes. This is due to the mar due in large part to the fact that back in 2005, the Supreme Court case allowed judges to stop using specific guidelines for sentencing. And now judges are allowed to basically just give sentences depending on how they, they see fit. So there is no guidelines for the most part. There is a, there's minimums and maximums, then you can kind of figure it out in between. So the thing that I really want to say to you here is that th this it's not just in these particular cases, okay? We're not talking about just in auto loans. We're not talking about just in education. We're not talking about just in housing. I mean, this has been, there have been systems in place that have been going against black and brown people for forever, for forever. I mean, if you just, just think about for a second, if you're familiar with Jim Crow, these Jim Crow laws that were put into place during the time that's known as Reconstruction and that pervaded up until the 1950s and 1960s, saying that white and black people couldn't be in the same places of transportation. And so white and black people had different forms of transportation. They couldn't be in the same buildings together. They couldn't go to schools together. Black people and white people weren't even allowed to work together in federal workplaces. That was put into place in 1913, I believe, under Woodrow Wilson. He enacted that. And these things have had detrimental like, ramifications throughout the years. I mean, even now, when you think back to what we were talking about before with the housing disparity and how Black ownership of homes was not allowed in certain communities here in America due to redlining practices. That has had a trickle down effect over the years. So much so that, you know, as of 2020, you know, 74% of white families currently, as of last year, are homeowners versus only 44% of black families who are owning their own home. And as we know from several different studies, owning a home is one of the biggest purveyors in building wealth. Homeowners on average have net worths that are 41 times greater than renters, which probably explains the reason why black households in America 
have only 5% of the wealth of white households. And so what, what is the point of, of, of saying all this? Because I could, I could go into more detail, right? I could talk about the Tulsa massacre that happened. I could talk about the Galveston massacre that happened. I could talk about Emmett Till. I could talk about lynching that was done in the South. A lot of these things being legal. It was in, until 1967, it was illegal for black people and white people to even get married. And I haven't even touched on healthcare yet and how black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. There is a plethora of information out there. That, that's the point of all of this. There's a plethora of information out there about systems in America that disproportionately affect black people versus white people. That, that is the point of explaining all this. It is a joke to sit there and say that, yeah, the Civil War ended and then everything was just great for Black people in America. Sure it was, if you're lying to yourself. Sure it was. And, and so I honestly don't understand how someone could even come to that conclusion. That unfortunately is the conclusion that people come to when they say that systemic racism doesn't exist. A system is something that is put into place by a government. And if it discriminates against an entity, and in this particular case, if that, if that form of discrimination targets a group of people who all happen to be of the same race, well, then that form of discrimination is in this case, racism. And so yes, there are systems in place in America, and there have been in the past, that were discriminating against Black people, therefore systemically racist. It's not a lie. It's not made up. It is not a lie. And so when I hear these objections saying that we're indoctrinating children with things that aren't true, it, what are you talking about? Yes, they absolutely are true. These things did happen. It'd be one thing if you were actually right about the fact that things were being exaggerated or that people were lying, but no one's exaggerating about what's happened to people in this country and no one's lying about what's happening in this country. So I personally don't understand what the actual objection is. And I've tried to reach out to certain people and talk to them about it. And there are some good faith actors out there who happen to be against critical race theory who would engage with me in conversations. And they would say things about like, well, maybe we just need to be, you know, kind of selective about how we teach these things because we don't want, you know, kids growing up hating their country. Okay. I mean, you want to talk about the balance of talking about the atrocities that America's committed versus the good things America's, you know, the, the good things America's done. I'm sure there's a way to possibly do that as long as we're not lying about what we've done. And that should include our ugly history when it comes to race, including what's happened to indigenous people here in America and the genocide that was committed against them. But also what I've heard is that maybe we shouldn't be teaching young children about these things. Okay, I could see that. Maybe we shouldn't be teaching young children about this. Maybe this is a high school level topic. I know personally, I wouldn't wanna teach young children about the Holocaust maybe the absolute evils that have been committed by, you know, I guess for the lack of a better word, the state, whether it be our state or other states, maybe that should be information that's doled out 
in a high school course versus in elementary school or middle school. But I don't see any particular reason why we can't have these conversations openly and honestly. This is not a lie or a fabrication. This is our history. But you have some people who will say that, you know, this is basically attacking white people. This is the thing I keep hearing. And these same people say that they don't understand where all this talk of privilege comes from. I'm a person who goes to work every day. I work really hard. I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps, whatever the hell that means. And I was never given anything in my life. So I don't understand where this white privilege conversation comes from. And I don't want my kids being taught about some privilege that they don't have. And you know what? I understand to a degree where people like that are coming from. I kind of do. You know what? You probably have had a hard life. Maybe you don't come from money. Maybe you come from a lower, you're a lower class white family and you don't come from money. You spent your whole life busting your ass to get to where you are. And so you don't understand where all this white privilege talk comes from because your life's never been simple. And I just wanna take a moment to say that you probably don't understand where the white privilege thing comes from because everyone who's ever explained it to you was just trying to take that phrase and tell you that it meant something that it didn't. Because when you take the moment to explain it, it really isn't that hard to explain. And it basically just says this. It's like, yes, your life has been very difficult. And yes, you worked really hard to get to where you're at. However, the privilege, and maybe privilege isn't the best word, but the advantage that you had was that other people who are not white had to work as equally as hard, but had additional obstacles in the way that made it even harder to do what you did. So you both worked your ass off, but some people had to deal with even more crap than you did just because they were born with a different skin color. There's nothing wrong with teaching that, again, because it's true. But unfortunately, we're not dealing with a bunch of good faith actors when it comes to these conversations. We're dealing with a lot of bad faith actors who just want to basically spew lies and propaganda. And a lot of that comes from political pundits and from politicians on the right who are taking this moment in time, this opportunity to turn this critical race theory debate into an opportunity to, I don't know, take a guess. I'm taking a guess right now. Is it for ad revenue? Is it for trying to bolster your popularity? Is it because focusing on this culture war is the only thing that they have to go on right now because they don't have any good policy proposals to put forth? Look, all I know is that the way it's being talked about right now on something like Fox News just doesn't make any sense to me. Here's a clip from how CRT is being talked about on Fox News, and I'm going to address it after we talk about it or after you hear it. Here's the clip. Lo and behold, the, the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that that, <laughs> that was the threat to our republic? And Fox News contributor Leo Terrell calling out the former president for his rhetoric. He's the last person on earth that should be promoting the critical race theory. Here's a man, if he's oppressed, he became president of the United States. When you promote a theory of hate that specifically targets a particular group of people, i.e. being white, that is a discussion and affects every American in this country. Who in this world oppressed President Obama? He became president. Greg, give us your take on the 
Obama interview? Um, that was a really stupid comment by uh, former President Obama. He's basically insulting people for actually understanding a, a critical curriculum. He would prefer you to be ignorant of it, to be a low information person. But all of the, what he should be saying, wow, I'm pretty impressed that these people know this stuff. It, it, you know, and, and also he makes this mistake where he says, you know, in the part of the interview, he talks about how his daughters are saying cancel culture is out of control or it's not good. And then he says CRT is, you know, uh, 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 is harmless. He doesn't see the connection between the two. That critical race theory helps create the cancel culture by saying that everybody, everybody who isn't non-white is an oppressor and therefore must be canceled. And, and, and finally, how does he not get that education is actually way more important than Anything he just talked about, whether it was climate change or anything, his priorities are all contingent on solving uh, education, which is basically the pyramid base for everything else. I mean, if you look, we talked about crime in the A block. If you look at people that are killed by police, you can trace it almost all the way back to their education. What, how was their education? It would be the root cause. It would be <laughs> the root. Thank you, Dana. The root cause. <laughs> Okay, so there's so many things to react to right here. Firstly, I didn't mention before the clip that these people were reacting to President Obama being, being interviewed by CNN, this was about a month ago, and him saying that he was really confused as to why critical race theory was all of a sudden such a hot button topic amongst Republicans and people on the right. What the first person said is that apparently President Obama, you know, couldn't be oppressed because he ended up being president. And, and I think this is a, a, a narrative that's tried to be pushed by people who are against topics like critical race theory being talked about, saying because some black people are successful, that means that the system in large part cannot be racist because the system... Again, there, are, there can't be any systems in place disproportionately affect black people in a bad way because some black people are very successful. How do you explain that? You know, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense is the fact that you honestly made that argument in real time and didn't stop and think to yourself how dumb it was coming out of your mouth, truthfully. You're saying that because the occasional person has success in their life, that there cannot be a system in place that overall disproportionately affects certain people. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. There's no correlation there. If the occasional person becomes successful, that does not mean that disproportionately a huge chunk of these people are not in fact not successful, but very much so more impoverished than another group of people. It, it just, it boggles my mind that you can put those two things together, but then kind of going on to what the other person was talking about. They mentioned at the end there that education was one of the, like the most important mid, like bases for everything else. And he was correlating it to outcomes, you know, with people who are killed by the police. And honestly, this just goes back again to just more or less talking about how certain systems in place can affect you not only through many different places in life, but through generations, because you're absolutely correct. You are correct. Education is a very important thing. 
that does have a huge impact on so many other things in your life. And when you grow up in a poor community, which most, again, black people do, you're going to be living in places that have worse education systems because your education systems are always dominated by how much money is in a prevailing area. And so it's, it's honestly, it's an endless cycle. And that's how these things are all connected and how they are essentially systemic and how they pervade through decades and decades and decades. You are born into a poor neighborhood. Then you go to school in a poor neighborhood. And because you weren't able to get as good of an education, you're not able to get as good as a job, which means that since you can't get that good of a job, you have to stay in a place where you can essentially afford to live, which ends up being, again, a poor neighborhood. And then it just cycles through to the next generation. And it's harder and harder for people to break free. This really isn't that hard to understand if you're trying to understand it, but there are so many people who are not trying to understand it. They just see this conversation of, hey, maybe our systems haven't been so kind to people who are not white as somehow being an attack on white people, but it's not an attack on white people. I don't understand why so many people have their own sense of self tied to these systems. Yes, you have benefited from that system, but that's not me calling you racist. It's saying that you have benefited from a system that has not always worked for other people that don't look like you. Oh my God. What we are seeing at the end of the day, as I'm going to close this out, this is just more or less just propaganda. And I think that's the thing that's driven me insane the whole time that I was researching this this week. It feels as though this conversation is not really rooted in any real type of truth. There are people who are advocating for us teaching expanded history in schools, and they are arguing about this in good faith. And then there are people who are arguing against it who are either misinformed or they're purposely misinforming. And that is just absolutely infuriating. You're talking to brick walls either because they're not getting the right information or because they don't care because they're just trying to drive a wedge because it's better for them. And this is absolutely just something that I, I just don't know if I'll be able to get over because right now there are people mostly on the right who are just twisting this phrase, critical race theory, that again, isn't actually even critical race theory, but they're saying that it is. And it's just another phrase in a long line of phrases now that's basically being used as propaganda and twisting its original meaning just for the sake of polarization. Critical race theory is now in the same basket as words like racism, which apparently everyone has their own definition for, and the word woke, which apparently everyone has their own definition for, and for defund the police, which is constantly mistaken for abolish the police, even though it doesn't mean abolish the police, but if you say defund the police in context of abolishing the police enough, you've now convinced everyone who doesn't understand what defund the police means that it does mean abolish the police, which is again, which is basically what they've done with CRT now. And my favorite, socialism, because people on the right have basically used the word socialism to mean anything that the government does. If the government does anything, that is socialism, even though that's not what socialism means. And so as I am rounding out 
my rants here because this is a little uncharacteristic of my episodes here. Normally, I have these things a lot more thought out, a lot more facts, a lot less opinions, a lot less me being absolutely pissed off throughout the entire readings here. This is this has been very frustrating for me because I personally, I, I am personally just like very confused as to why we even have to have these conversations, honestly. I mean, it should be obvious to everyone that there have been different lived experiences for people who are white in this country and for people who are not white in this country. Maybe you don't wanna hear that, but that is the damn truth. There's no lie about that. And the fact that we even need to continuously say that just absolutely boggles my mind. No wonder we have such an issue with race in this country. We can't even agree on what our history is. If I have any hope for anyone who's listening to this right now, I just hope that you all know that going forward, if we're ever going to really make any progress with this issue or frankly, any other issue, the first thing that we need to do is be on the same page with what we're talking about. And so when we come across people who are trying to redefine things in ways that they aren't actually, and in this particular case, critical race theory, let's all hopefully be able to check these liars in real time and let them know that that is not what that means. And nothing positive is going to come from those people continuously spouting these lies. Thank you all for taking a moment to listen to my thoughts here on critical race theory. When we come back from break, I will have my guest for this week. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Indie Thought listeners, has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at BathingBeautiesBeads.com. 
And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Independent Thoughts. For today's episode, I am joined by my guest, Ben, from the Skip the Noise podcast. Ben, thank you for joining Independent Thoughts today. How are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Thank you for having me. Like I said, we conversed quite a bit uh, prior, so it's exciting to uh, finally be on, man. Get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who are not already uh, Skip the Noise is a podcast that I'm following uh, on CastBox. I follow this guy on Instagram, definitely doing some good work over there. And, you know, I think you know, I'm going to get into a little bit, you know, here in a minute why I decided to bring you on. But, you know, before we get into that, the first thing I always do whenever a fellow podcaster comes on is kind of ask them, like, what was the original motivation behind starting the podcast? Could you tell me a little bit about that? Like, why did you decide to start Skip the Noise? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just starting a podcast in general as an idea was something that myself and uh, one of my co-hosts, uh, Mexican Nostradamus, had talked about for years, just both of us being a fan of of podcasts ever since I discovered what they were. And hey, this is free entertainment, right? And I, I was always a big fan of talk radio uh, growing up and, you know, various genres. So podcasts just in general, very appealing to me and, you know, easily digestible entertainment, throw it in the ear, and go about your business. So it had been in, in both of our heads for quite a while to to do something. But to specifically answer your question, as far as like, why did we decide to do Skip the Noise podcast or how we developed this format? So myself, uh, Mexican Nostradamus and Rick, um, you know, the two of them went to uh, school together. I grew up with uh, Mexican Nostradamus. So we've been, we've known each other for over 30 years. Um, Rick though, they went to uh, to college together. So they kind of, they knew each other and I knew Rick, uh, but re, you know, probably right a little bit before COVID, maybe a couple months, the three of us had started this text thread uh, where it would just always be like, whatever, news stories and things and the, the banter and the, the back and forth, you know, Rick having generally speaking conservative political views and, and uh, the other Ben having liberal views. It just, it added up to be quite a, a good recipe for a show, right? You get both sides of the story. Then you have my, uh, my input kind of man on the street take, if you will, or kind of the, uh, you know, more of the sociological and analyzing things and break it down, uh, type of approach. So yeah, it, once we decided uh, it was, you know, the summer of, uh, 2020, right in the middle of June. And we finally just put their foot down and said, you know what, it's, if, if it's not going to happen now, it's never going to happen. So boom, we just figured out how to make everything work. And uh, even though we record remotely, you know, it wasn't the most uh, convenient process and I'm not a tech wizard. So I had to, from basically from ground zero, I had just had to Google stuff, figure out how to do it yeah. <laughs> completely from scratch. And, uh, but we were so determined to make something happen that it just, uh, you know, it came out and here it is. Hey, you know what? And it's, it's definitely, you know, you got a good thing going there. I think one of the things that I really value about what that you guys are doing over there is, it feels like you're trying to emphasize that certain pieces of news get covered, which, you know, something that I definitely want to talk to you about, you know, cause there's sometimes where there's just certain news that gets covered by the mainstream media that you kind of wonder to yourself, like, why are they spending so much time on that? Or like, why are they not spending enough time, you know, covering information that seems more relevant? So just tell me a little bit about that. Like, how do you pick like what stories you're going to cover? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it happens a little bit organically, but I think by nature, um, the three of us are always kind of looking for those things that slide under the radar. You know, I'm sure uh, you, of all people, have noticed this, but I think the general public at this point is pretty aware that the the mainstream media, rather depending, no matter what network, right, each one has an agenda. Uh, and at the end of the day, that agenda is making money. So certain stories get play, certain stories don't, certain things get coverage of because they, you know, it's this overarching narrative that they want to create to keep the thing going. So, but outside of that, reality actually happens, believe it or not, whether it's covered on TV or not. So we take it upon ourselves to try to uh, find the things that are actually relevant to life and how you're living your life and, and to society, whether that be politics, you know, geopolitics, uh, social issues, anything that, that kind of touches on that, that, that's important that we think our listeners are going to want to hear and, uh, and get our takes on from a, you know, hopefully a well-rounded perspective. Yeah. And, and definitely, you know, on top of that, it's also important to cover a variety of topics, which is something that I try my best to do, not to be too one note in my news coverage. And I noticed that something that you also do as well. Just, just tell me, you know, when it comes to, you know, I guess like this kind of goes back to the last question, but on top of picking relevant news, like, is it important for you to pick a variety of topics or does that, or does that also just kind of happen naturally for you? It, to a degree, it happens naturally, but yes, there, we definitely, um, you know, you don't want to get to, uh, for example, right, whenever the election was going on uh, with Biden and Trump, it was, there's so much coverage on Trump's doing this, Trump's doing that, Biden's doing this. That was probably an instance where we did have to sort of uh, deliberately try to find things that would add a variety, right? Um, but I think naturally, we just kind of sniff those things out. Um, but yes, to your point, it, it is important to, you know, sometimes you might want to talk about something that's strictly political, right? Like what are the, you know, what is the House of Representatives doing on XYZ issue? But then sometimes too, there's local stories that might provide some kind of insight on what's the, what's the actual, what are the real people doing? Or what, are, what do people think about things? So it is, it's important to cover not only a variety of topics, but also things at multiple levels, right? Like, like what's going on with the executive branch, but also what's going on in your local, uh, not only just, you know, municipality, but like in your neighborhood, you know, right. what are folks doing? What is your next door neighbor doing? You know, how do, how are they uh, reacting to changes that happen? You know, what are they doing with their, <laughs> their door cams or, or whatever? So all kinds of different things make the show. And, uh, but yeah, it, like it is very important to, to cover a wide range of topics. Uh, to get, get different perspectives on. Yeah, no, th that's something that I'm very interested in because I'm trying to fight back that motivation sometimes because there have been times where I've wanted just to focus on one like genre of topics for too long. But, you know, I, I think one of the other challenges that comes up with being a podcaster is trying to get people to be engaged with the news or to stay engaged. I mean, because not only are you battling the algorithms, which are constantly trying to kind of push you down in in results you know especially like on instagram and twitter and facebook but you know you also have to just try to like find ways to keep people engaged in politics especially right now it's the summertime people are getting you know on the other side of the pandemic a little bit and people are just checking out of politics in general so it's kind of an uphill climb more or less for everyone but like 
what do you like personally do to try to like keep people engaged with a political show, uh, especially during this time? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, and I think, yeah, that's one thing. Uh, th there's a lot of commonalities between, uh, I think, you and I and how we approach things. And yes, by nature, the stuff that, uh, you know, you and I are interested in covering is gonna, is not going to be very algorithm uh, friendly, right? Like just by nature, it's the stuff that they want to kind of sweep under the rug. So there's that battle, right? But hey, we got to fight the good fight. Somebody's got to. So to answer your question though, man, I try, I mean, I think the show in general, plus, you know, how I approach Instagram, I try to make it kind of life friendly and, and not that this is a deliberate kind of ruse, um, but I, I try to let make things sort of sneak up on you. You know, I'm a funny fun guy. I like to joke around. So I try to keep uh, uh, sort of the Instagram front, uh, if you will, maybe a little bit more lighthearted uh, and engaging uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, not to say that I don't push issues through that as well, because I do, but uh, I, I try to just keep it like, hey, here, here's what it is, or here, here's what I'm doing just to mix it up a little bit. But yeah, it is tough. But as far as getting an audience involved, you know, we've I try to, and this is something I want to work on more in the future, is bringing people on, giving them an opportunity like, hey, if uh, maybe you don't want to put your, your opinions on the comments, but hey, maybe, maybe you have something that, that you want to promote. So, hey, why don't you, I'll give you a chance to talk for 15 minutes or something on the show or, or uh, you know, voice a concern, some kind of cause. So things like that, I think, are on the future as we, you know, we get past year one. Uh, the focus initially, you know, is just banging out these shows and keeping it, you know, keep the development of the, of the program going. But yeah, uh, I think that, you know, whether it's writing in stuff, I'm just looking to kind of expand the show a little bit because yeah, it, it is tough. And I don't, <laughs> I don't have like a perfect answer for, for what, what's been working because uh, it has been a struggle. I really haven't gotten the results I want on that, that front for sure. Yeah, and it's definitely something that I think that we all struggle with. I know that I spend definitely more time marketing than I do cultivating the show, which I'm mm -hmm. hoping that in the future I can kind of flip that around as it should be. But, you know, I, I think, you know, the, one of the next things I want to ask you is, you know, because we're kind of going to, I want to dive into more or less some of your political feelings as someone who hosts a political podcast. Mm -hmm. But before we kind of like get into specifics on, you know, certain topics, I think just the first question that comes to my mind is, you know, why did you, like, where did this interest in politics come from in general? You know, because there are so, I think for certain people, they have like certain events that kind of like, you know, sparked it for them. But is there something like specific for you or kind of like, has it always been there? Like, you know, for most of your life? Yeah, I think there's always been an interest. Um, I wouldn't say politics specifically. For me, politics kind of comes as a result of wanting to, you know, I have, educationally speaking, I have a sociological background. That's what I got my, my degree in, uh, University of Houston downtown. Shout out to the Gators. But um, I, I look at things like that. I, uh, it kind of all blends into the same thing. Politics is a part of society. Society is a part of culture, which is a part of, you know, biology, life, all, all the thing. It all blends into one thing. So um, for me, politics is, is more of the avenue. That's how that's how changes get made, right? That's what we've set up as a society to, um, to govern uh, the, the people and the populace. So if you're not somewhat engaged in that, you're not participating in, 
shit, man, your own life. I mean, especially if you live in a place like uh, the United States where at some point, right, there's degrees to which it's an illusion that you have, <laughs> you have rights, but you've got, you've at least got to uh, concede that you've got a good a chance here as anywhere else in the world to actually voice your opinion and, and, and do something. So um, by, by way of that, I, it's always just been my interest in people and what people are doing, um, how culture works and how, how that permeates into people's lives and their opinions. I'm just, a, I love people, man. I love studying the, the human species. And so politics is an extension of that. And uh so, but as far as the show goes, uh, you know, Mexican Nostradamus and Rick are just both, both of them are very into strictly like politics. Like they have a, a real keen nose for that. So that because of the two of them, you know, getting after each other, coming from different views, um, I think that is kind of the engine of the show. And then all the other stuff sort of flows through that to, um, you know, to kind of even it out and make it a, a digestible piece. Yeah, I, I think. You know, just for uh, just some little insider knowledge here for the people at home, you know, we uh, we tried recording this episode, you know, yesterday, but we were having some <laughs> some technical difficulties. And when we when I talked to you a little bit about this yesterday, you had mentioned that you had had some experience in your life dealing with uh, with the unions. Is that correct? I did. Yes, I did. Tell me a little um, bit about that and how. Because I, because you know, I'm going to ask you a, a union-based question, you know, after that. But how exactly did that kind of like shape your feelings around unions, just having to be so involved in one? Right, and yeah, that, that it's good you pointed that out. Because um, as far as politics in general, yeah, that was really my, like I said, I I paid attention in as much as I always made sure I voted, things like that, and I always had a little bit of an interest in it. But yeah, it didn't uh, fully blossom until I, I worked that job and was kind of not forced, but just by the nature of the job uh, was forced to get a little bit active uh, in things like that. Uh, now, mind you, this was for uh, the entity that was paying me. So it wasn't necessarily my own personal beliefs, but at the same time, it did sort of cue me into, okay, shit, there are some grassroots movements going on. There are people. Uh, it, it introduced me to a whole new crop of people that didn't really come across my my radar, you know what I mean? In my social circle. So that, that was a good thing to see people that are motivated in that way. Um, but what it did show me is um, there are avenues and there are ways that you can use your mind creatively to get people uh, excited and motivated and, and uh, inspired to take action. Right. So that was yeah. a good thing, but it also showed uh, just unions in general that, Hey, these are organizations as well. Just like a company is an organization that are run by people. People have different motivations, right? People are sneaky. Some people are good. Some people are bad. Um, so looks can be deceiving sometimes. And there's sometimes a lot more going on behind the curtains or, yeah. uh, you know, behind the scenes that are worth looking at. So um, I don't want to say it soured my, my taste on, the idea of unionism or definitely not the idea of workers' rights. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of history behind that. And, uh, you know, there, there's a sense of, I guess, uh, like any, any sort of entity, it, there's history behind it and it, it grows in a certain way. And some of those things get take for, taken for granted and removed and sort of uh, dissolved from the initial inspiration that created it right and they just become uh works 
that continue going just because the the engine's still running and the thing still exists and people need to get paid. So that was kind of it, but it did definitely kind of open up the door for me to see like, Oh shit. Like there are some things you can do um, outside of the box and thinking differently to get people inspired to, uh, to actually make a difference. And we did while I was there, I was proud to say, I'm not going to get into the details, but several things. And it was in my own community too, which was extra motivation. Uh, so it did really kind of open my eyes to like, you know, there are ways uh, if you're motivated enough to get things done in your own community. Yeah. And definitely. And that kind of like ties me into, I guess, more or less the question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, we saw this push for unionization down in Alabama just a few months back in regards to Amazon workers. And I, I kind of just more or less wanted to get your your ideas as a whole. Like, do you think that more unionization pushes should be happening all over the country? Or do you think unions are mostly bad? Or like, like where do you fall on in this particular conversation? Yeah, it, it's tricky because I do think that um, they serve a purpose. Now, whether the organizations themselves and the affiliations and the people that are in charge of those affiliations uh, have integrity is, um, you know, and I'm not, I'll be totally honest, I'm not a real familiar with uh, the actual outfit that um, that kickstarted this deal in, in Bessemer, Alabama. I'm sure they're probably AFL-CIO affiliated, I would assume, but um, I don't know the, the the people involved. However, I will say very strongly that um, the trend, it seems to be, though, that companies, corporations like Amazon do continue to, as they drive these these profit margins and all those motivations, they continue to get away with things because they're so powerful um, and so all-encompassing. And hey, look what, you know, we were talking about this too uh, prior, but hey, I'm guilty as the next guy, man. I, we got Amazon crap coming to the door on the regular basis. So you know, at the end of the day, do we need, is it really a necessity that, uh, you know, a stapler or a computer monitor gets to your house in 35 seconds? Yeah, what, what's the expense of that? The pressure keeps building to where uh, profits are, are driven so tight that, hey, what's the biggest expense of, of any company? It's payroll, right? You got to pay your employees. So you can keep them, you can keep them coming in. And I think the thing that, that, that bums me out the most about this setup or this model for how it works is that companies like, you know, your Walmarts, your Amazons, it's in their best interest to keep a revolving door uh, of, um, you know, bottom level employees, right? That's the biggest, those are the biggest numbers. So they want to keep them, whatever that wage is, they don't want them staying there for, for 10, 15 years to where they climb up and they're making, they're capped out. They want a new crop to come in. Uh, and the other reason they want that is because they set the standards so so crazy that nobody can actually do it right. so perfect you know perfect you come in and uh you know whoever uh jonathan comes in there and he's just a human right <laughs> he's a he's a homo sapien so he's not a robot and he does need to take a piss uh in between you know running packages on the conveyor belt at a, at a rate that's impossible to do so that's a, that's why that model is set up that way it's specifically designed so that they have a new crop coming in uh, that never gets it benefits. They never get any of that. And I think that's where, that's where the problem is. You know, you, you, you got to make money, but at the same time too, what's the societal uh, result of that when you've got, 
these companies that are evading taxes, you know what I mean? They're not having to participate in the same way that, that a mom and pop would be. They're not ta- they're, it's not the same risks, but they're getting away with all this just because of the uh, expansiveness of it. Uh, so yeah, to me, that's problematic, but. Yeah, there's a lot of different issues in regards to not just Amazon, but so many of these companies, but yeah, particular to Amazon, not paying taxes, treating workers like crap. Uh, I mean, crap's kind of an understatement more or less, but yeah. yeah, some of the practices they have with more or less trying to get people out consistently. You know, I, I did an episode on it for those who were interested, go back to season three, I covered uh, Amazon workers in Alabama, definitely check that out. But yeah, we could probably go on that subject for a very long time. There's a lot of issues kind of coming around Amazon, but you know, kind of just staying in the theme of trying to figure out more of, you know, particular political beliefs that you have. You know, I know that you told me that you are, you know, Texas born and raised. And a lot of times (laughs) when we're having conversations nationally about the gun debate, a lot of times they get centered around places like Texas. And Mm. I kind of just wanted to get your feelings on this particular topic, a topic that I haven't covered a whole lot on my show. So in your mind, as far as gun rights are concerned, are you someone who believes that you know, the gun laws as is are fine, or should we be expanding gun laws or should we be, you know, getting rid of assault rifles or like, where, where do you fall in this conversation? Right. I'm all, I'm all for, uh, you know, second amendment, right to bear arms, um, gun order. Everybody I know there is a gun culture here, uh, in Texas, uh, you know, as is, it's not the only state obviously, but it is, it's probably the biggest state. Right. And that's why Texas, Texas is kind of its own thing. And that's why a lot of these issues sort of end up at a, uh, you know, a crossroads here and a, and a big, get a big spotlight to see how, how it's handled here by our government. Um, but so recently though, as of September 1st, um, uh, a law was passed to where citizens will no longer have to, or permits are no longer, will no longer be required for open carry in public for handguns. So to me, that's, I don't think there, if anything, there wasn't anything wrong with the way, <laughs> the way things were already, it's already pretty permissive here. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that this was an issue that took precedent and this was an issue that um, became such a, a focal point for the, uh, for the Republicans in, in the, in the Texas government, particularly the, our governor, Greg Abbott. Um, so the problem I have with stuff like that is it's, it's done for, you know, he's up for election. This is political posturing, in my opinion, and it has no common sense, no societal value. There's organizations, you know, that are extremely pissed off about this right in on the heels of, you know, tons of mass shootings throughout the country, but specifically here, there was one recently in El Paso. Um, so it's tough to say, you know, you can debate that all day, right? Um, there, there's a lot of factors involved in mass shooting. So I'm not just limiting it to that because, mass shootings, obviously somebody has to be involved. It has, you know, and there's, you get into mental health debate and things like that. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but just guns in general. Um, I, I don't agree with the extreme uh, stance that they've recently taken in. And, and it'll be interesting to see what happens after s- September 1st, if there's more, you know, gun related altercations in public. Um, I don't know the, the kind of the, the, if the end of the debate seems to be, or the, the focal point or where it tips is like, so are, is, is public, are, are we safer in public when everybody 
you know, has guns because the idea is right. Oh, well you can, you know, you can shoot down the bad guy. You know, if you're in a grocery store and uh, somebody decides to shoot up the place, well, if everybody's got guns, they can just shoot the, I don't know if it, if it's that simple. Cause that seems to be the argument uh, from that side. Right. But if anybody has a gun, it's just like, like I said before, like driving a car, right? There's nothing wrong with testing you uh, and see how well you operate an automobile. Why? Because automobiles can kill people very easily. Well, so can firearms. So why don't, why aren't these check, you know, uh, these barriers maintained? So I, I do think that there, there does need to remain in place that process. So I'm not, I don't agree with this, uh, this new bill, the, 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 what do they call it? The constitutional carry is what it's right. referred to as. Which is basically, from my understanding, is just wiping out all of the, well, any restriction. You don't have to get a permit. You don't have to have any kind no. of concealed carry license. It just, it kind of like takes all of that off the table, right? Yeah, no gun, no gun safety class, no, nothing like that. Yeah, um, that, that seems um, problematic, might be the it, right It is, and, and it's unnecessary. I think the, the thing that I have the most beef with it is like, wh- who was asking for this? Nobody. The public wasn't asking for this. The lobbyists were asking for this. And so it's a pure, like I said before, it's pure political posturing. And that's, you know, that's the stuff that gets me fired up, is politics for politics safe. Politics is for, you know, managing the, the, the populace or governing the populace, not for these little games for you versus me and or red versus blue right team a versus team b and that that's where it becomes you know it's a bunch of bs so uh yeah it's a tough it's a tough spot and we'll see we'll see how it plays out man it's (laughs) i don't foresee it going very well but we'll see yeah the people of texas ask for a winterization of the electric good and they get an (sighs) opi carry instead but that's what i'm saying we got yeah we can't even manage you know for you for those of you who don't know texas notoriously has its own uh electric grid which is obviously not maintained very well, um, as we saw in this uh, this apparent once in a lifetime ice storm that happened, where the whole, literally the whole, the in- almost there were seconds away from what I've talked to people that are on right. the inside of this deal, seconds away for the entire state going out for months. Uh, for months. Yeah. So you you're telling me that that's not the priority. The priority is like in a in an already uh, permissive state when it comes to to gun control. No, that's that's the issue we should be spending our time not fixing this damn power grid. So anyhow, Ooh. yeah, that's, that's, no, that's it, politics, it, brother. There there seems to be some some backwards uh, ideology when it comes to what needs to be addressed. But you know, I, I think one of the last things I want to talk to you about is you know after this past year, you know, I guess we're going back a year now with the mm-hmm. protest movement that was happening all over the country you know, a lot of conversations cropped up about law enforcement, whether people were advocating on behalf of the police saying your job is very hard and people should be more respectful of what you're going through versus on the other extreme people were saying we need to abolish the police. Some people talked rather about defunding the police. I think a lot of people were more or less just talking about the police in one fashion or another. Ending qualified immunity cropped up you know, in a lot of conversations, where do you fall in this particular conversation? Like, like, what are your feelings around law enforcement, especially after all the things we've seen in the last year, you know, involving the police in this country? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and regardless of, 
you know, you, you could like with any issue, right. That comes across and is, um, media plays into it for one, but it's, it's no matter who you are, you would have to concede that there's an issue, right. With, um, the relationship between the police, uh, law enforcement agencies across the country and, um, you know, lower economic minority, um, minority populations it's been historically that way and we're not even that far removed mind you from you know pre-civil rights right where the law enforcement was basically the physical barrier between um, minorities and specifically african americans and uh you know the the whites they were the ones they were the buffer like they were the ones that told it no 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 you can't you can't enter here so now, as far as like how law enforcement agencies should operate, you know, that's a different question. Do they need to exist? Yes, I think they do. I think there needs to be um, people that do the job that uh, police do, right? There, there needs to be an entity of people uh, with guns that protect the public. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different options you have for for managing it. And it's not, maybe it's not a one size fits all. Every community is different. States are different. Municipalities are different. Communities are different. Um, but I think the, the main point is that the law enforcement agency should be a representative of the community in which it serves. Uh, so I do think, you know, I don't know if, so defund the police is kind of one of those things where um, I don't, it's such a blanket statement that you can't, it's a nice little catchphrase. So that's why I don't really, I don't like it too much because it, it sort of glosses over uh, an issue that's way more nuanced than just saying blanket defund the police, right? Cause it's, it's more where that money is going. So the thing I think about law enforcement, what I think needs to improve is I do like the fact that there's a federal registry for, um, you know, mis- misconduct uh, in officers. I think the scrutiny needs to be there. I think that needs to uh, ramp up. I think it should be harder for uh, specific law enforcement agencies to protect their bad, uh, their bad employees, so to speak. Because you, you look around the country and these, these agencies that have had problems, a lot of times they're not it's just like a company, right? If you've got crap employees, they're coming in late and they're doing, they're talking, you know, uh, they're being rude to customers, right? Your business is going to suffer. And, and if you're not addressing it, it's going to continue. I think that's what's happened. It's not, there's a culture amongst police officers. Um, and I got, I got the utmost respect for somebody who puts on a badge and a gun and goes out into the public because anything can happen. I really do. Uh, it doesn't take anything away from that, but you do have a very, huge responsibility when you do that you know you've got your job issues you a weapon um that can kill people and you've also got the authority to put people in a car and take them to jail uh you've got the you can use physical force so there's all these these things that are presented to you that you have to take uh, you have to be responsible for so there's a lot of things that need to change but i think some key things um Training can't be underemphasized. And what I mean by training is, is not, not necessarily um, all kinds of things, physical altercations, right? How to operate safely. 
because a lot of times it, it is tough, man. It is in your position and not the, like the specifically Derek Chauvin, but there's probably cases across the country where maybe somebody didn't intend on hurting somebody, but they didn't know what to do. They got nervous. They got scared. They survival instincts kicked in and somebody ended up paying the price. But the more training in that, because that's worst case scenario, right? A physical altercation with a citizen or a citizen with a police officer. Stuff like that shouldn't just be like, you know, uh, here you go. You, you pass the test, just like with the gun control thing. Uh, so I think the, the bar for people to get through or the testing should be probably more stringent across the board to make sure that the people that are getting through, hell, pay them more. Shit, if it's a more qualified um, workforce, and I'm all for same thing with like teachers, right? What are, why are we downplaying somebody who's got the, the keys to our children's success, right? We should treat them like, uh, you know, treat them like the, the, or according to the responsibility that they have. So training, but also the main thing, scrutiny uh, to, to where specific kind of uh, good old boy mentality can't persist to where off, certain officers are being protected by their peers. Um, I think that's important. The fact that the, the public should have a forum for that. You know, there's, I know some communities do have, um, I don't know what the word for it would be like, but like a citizen's overview board, right? To look at certain cases. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a problem, right? It's a, it's a historic problem. And I think it's, at the end of the day, it's a good thing that it came into the public eye. It's not a good thing why it came to the public eye. Um, but, you know, at the same time too, once, <laughs> once the, the media sort of storm blows over, now, now is where we're really tested, right? Because it's, uh, it's not on the news every single day. It's not on everybody's mind every single day. So how do, how do we as, a, a, you know, as citizens continue to, to, to fight this fight and, and, and try to and, you know, look for changes or things that need to change so this just doesn't repeat itself over and over again throughout history? That is the million-dollar question, my friend, one that I've been asking myself for the past year. Will people continue to talk about the issues when they're not being blasted in our face every single day? It's really easy to talk about Black Lives Matter when it's constantly being you know, talked about every single day you know, for months at a time. But will you still be fighting for rights a year later when no one's talking about it? There hasn't been a police shooting that's all over your news coverage. And it's nice outside. So maybe you don't want to think about those things right now. Right. Yeah, so, you can go to the beach. Yeah, so... Definitely, it's, it's a hard thing to do to kind of stay engaged with all these issues, but I, I definitely do appreciate you coming here today and talking with me about some of these topics. You know, for those of you who are not currently, you know, how can someone find you on social media? Where can they find your podcast? Tell us where they can find you at. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the podcast, we, you can find it anywhere. Um, Apple, Spotify, everything in between. Uh, like you said, uh, was it CastBox? Um, that you got it on. Um, yes. Trying to think of some others. iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon. Hell, you can tell. Uh, what is it? The, you can you can ask Alexa to play Skip the Noise podcast, and and she'll play our current episode. So, um, really, anywhere you can possibly get podcast, uh, we've we've made that happen to where it's everywhere. So there's you got no excuse. You know, it's everywhere. I don't care what phone you got or what app you got. Uh, subscribe to the damn podcast. And as far as like the social media, Instagram is our main 
uh, hub. Um, I'm always looking to expand that a little bit, but I'm just not, uh, got only so many time, so much time in the day, you know, work over 50 hours a week. I got four kids, uh, the two Rick and, and Ben, they work even more than me. So, and they got kids. I think between the, all of us, we've got the hell Ben's got six, seven, shit, like over 10 kids between the three of us. So, uh, we're busy people. Uh, but we still make the show happen every week. So Instagram though is skip underscore the underscore noise underscore podcast. Uh, so look for me there. You know, if you got any questions, I'm always open. I'm on that thing pretty much all day. So, uh, (laughs) so check me out there. All right. Well, everyone go check that out. And if you're looking for those links, they'll be in the description underneath. So just click into the episode notes, especially if you're on Apple or Spotify, you'll be able to click on the links there and go directly to the podcast or to social media links uh, down below. So Ben, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hope to have you back on again in the future. For everyone else, uh, we're going to take one quick break and then I'll be back with my final thoughts of the day. Stick around. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us to another episode of Independent Thought. I first want to say thank you to my guest, Ben. I appreciate you coming on. Everyone should go check out the Skip the Noise podcast. Again, links are in the description of this episode. The description is a great place to find all kinds of links. Also, if you are not already and you did like this episode, please consider hitting that subscribe button is the best way to listen to the next episode of the podcast. And for the occasional bonus episode, they do come now and again. I've put out nine of them so far, and I have a few more planned. Always be on the lookout for bonus episodes. And I want to say thank you to current subscribers and to my members of my Patreon. Thank you to all of the patrons. And if you are interested in seeing the video version of my guest segment, you can do that by signing up for Patreon. Again, the link to which is in the description of this episode. So again, thank you to all the patrons. Uh, As far as video content is concerned, always be on the lookout for my YouTube channel. There will be some video content coming there very soon. Uh, actual video content, not that pseudo video stuff that I kind of have going on right now. But I appreciate the people who watch those too, because all videos need some type of watching, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, follow, you can follow me on social media at independent thought on Instagram. That is the best place to keep up with me and the podcast. I post my stories daily. Check out the Instagram. Now, as far as what's coming next, there will be two episodes over the course of the next seven days. As I've told uh, quite a few of you, I am planning on doing an additional episode per month now. And my hope is that every additional episode will be a candidate episode. Well, I'll be interviewing a person who's running for a political office. The first person who I am interviewing is William Compton. He is running for the second congressional district of Kentucky. That episode will come out on July 29th. So make sure that you are subscribed so you do not miss my episode, William Compton. So that episode will be coming out on July 29th. And then there'll be another episode coming out 
the following Monday on August 2nd. So you'll be getting two episodes over the course of the next week. So final thoughts. I have to say, kind of went a little bit off the rails my first segment there in talking about CRT a little bit. I'm not going to, you know, make this last piece here a little bit, you know, too long because I understand that these episodes are a little bit long, you know, going a little bit over an hour. Not everyone has that kind of time, but hopefully you break this up into just a few different segments. Probably the best way to experience this, this type of a podcast. And hey, I'm only putting out usually one a week. So, you know, break it up over the course of a week, you know, 10 minutes at a time. It works that way. I can't get over... I, I, I really want to find the right words here. I cannot get over this critical race theory debate that isn't actually about critical race theory. It, it, it's, it's annoying to me on so many different levels, especially when I hear people say things like, oh, well, we're just, we're just tired of talking about race or why do you keep having to shove this conversation down my throat or, or why are you trying to indoctrinate our children with talking about, about these exaggerations? And it, it just makes me feel as though the experiences that have, I've had in my life and other people that have had in their lives, we're just basically being told like, Hey, why don't you just shut the fuck up because nobody actually cares about what you've gone through. And if you actually did go through it, you're exaggerating it because it couldn't be as bad as you're saying. And even if you're not exaggerating it, uh, who really cares? Let's not teach our children the dark side of history. Okay. Okay. And then other people who would say like, oh, well, we, we didn't used to talk about race all the time. Wasn't life so much better when we didn't used to talk about race? And it's like, oh, so you felt better when you didn't have to be confronted with the fact that a bunch of people were very uncomfortable in this country, but pretended like everything was okay because it wasn't socially acceptable to talk about it then, even less so then than it is now. And look at the pushback that we're getting now when we're trying to talk about it. Look at the pushback that people get when they kneel at the national anthem. Look at the pushback people get when they protest in the streets. It's just, it's insane. It's like, there's no appropriate way to talk about what's happened. It's, it's as if there are certain people in society who just, no matter what, they just don't want you to talk about it, no matter what. When I was going through some of these YouTube videos of people talking about critical race theory, every video that put critical race theory in a neutral or positive light had tremendously more dislikes on the video than likes. And if there was a video that was smashing critical race theory, those videos had thousands more likes than dislikes. Thousands. It, it was just absolutely crazy to me. It's like, it didn't even matter if the truth was being told or not. It was like, you, it, it was basically just voting for what you wanted to hear. You don't want to hear that there have been systems in place that have been disproportionately affecting a certain group of people. And you just, you just don't want to hear it. You just don't want to hear it. I'm not saying you particularly you listening right now, but there are certain people where they just don't want to hear it. And because they don't want to hear it, if someone else decides to talk about it, well, then they're spewing lies or falsehoods or, or 
indoctrinating. It's just, it's all gross to me. It's all fucking gross. And usually I come to these episodes with some kind of like, this is what you can do to help this situation. Or this is what I think we can do to positively affect this outcome. Or this is what I think our plan should be. I, I truly am a little too frustrated in this moment to tell you what I think the plan should be. Because honestly, I don't know how you get from where you're at to where you want to be if the thing that's blocking your path is people even admitting that it exists. It's like the climate change debate with people who don't believe in climate change. How can you actually progress if there's a group of people who don't even want to admit it exists? You can't do anything with those people. You're just stuck wondering why the hell people won't even open their eyes. But that, I guess, in essence, is the, the power of propaganda. I guess, I don't, I don't know if there's any real way through it other than continuing to try to talk about the truth, regardless of whether or not people want to hear it. And if that makes me the villain for someone listening to this episode right now, you know, frankly, I don't give a shit. I really don't. I don't understand why you're so fragile that you can't handle what's happened in this country's history. But if you really want to be patriotic, then there's no reason to hide from everything that's happened in this country. You're not patriotic by omitting pieces of history that make your country look bad. You, if you really want to love something, you should love something despite its flaws, despite its bad history, not, you know, like let's, let's just, cut out certain pieces that don't make us look as good, you know, because we don't want kids to hate America. I'm sorry. I mean, if, if kids hate America after learning about its history, well then maybe that says a lot about what's happened in this country over its history. Anyway, I'm going to get off my little rant. I'm going to let everyone go. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Next episode, I'll try to be a little more structured, a little less, pissed off uh issues about race definitely always piss me off especially as a person of color here in america dm me your thoughts let me know how you felt about this episode instagram twitter best ways to get a hold of me see you in the next episode